Dear Father, it's a privilege to come to you this morning in the name of Jesus again. Father, you're never weak. We know that you're always strong. Father, you've proven that to us in the past. And uh, so, Father, we come to you in faith believing once again this morning that you will show yourself strong. And Father, what a privilege that Rod has that you say that when we are weak, then you become strong in us. So thank you, Father, that you have a weak vessel to work with this morning and you can show yourself strong in that. So, Father, um, may we all have a sense of weakness this morning and realize our helplessness without you. So, Father, for all of us, and I pray for myself as well, Father, we are weak, we're empty, and, Father, we're looking to you again, just like a little bird waiting for his mother to feed it with open mouths, Father. And, uh, Father, we also realize, too, that there's somebody else out there that would like to feed us, and that's our adversary. So, Father, I just pray that you would protect right around this room, keep the adversary away. So that the only thing that we're fed with is your holy word. And thank you, Father, that your spirit can deliver that directly to us. It can just go ahead and settle right down into our hearts, right where we need it. Thank you, Father. We come in faith believing. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, God. I don't think... Most of you realize how important it is to pray for those who speak. Um, I want to just tell you from experience that um, I can feel it when it happens. There was a young brother this morning came up to encourage me, and he had no idea, but um, I really was feeling empty and weak. But the Spirit knew, and the Spirit sent him. And the Spirit sent a prayer through Brother Stephen. Thank you. I, I really stand in awe of the reality that I'm here to speak on mighty God. And I feel so empty, so weak. And almost, uh, in a sense, I really even say that um, there's a bit of shame there. Um, God, take that away. And, and fill us with confidence in Him. So that's where we come to this morning. Also, uh, thank you, Grant. I hate to erase this. <laughs> this is awesome. It's a picture of the Word of God, which is not found, we heard this morning. Mist. I want you to see that. I like that picture. Mist with faith. And that is going to be profitable. Profitable. Not in dollars and cents, but profitable for God's work in the kingdom. One place in the scripture says, We are nothing but unprofitable servants. But mixed with faith, there can be profit. Well, I'm trying to have a lot of emphasis on wow this morning. And I just pray for strength for that. Let's, let's think about wonder, the wonder, the wonder. Some of his works. 
You know, I can't even help myself. I'm going to, before I even get started here, I want to uh, go back to some of our thoughts in the breakfast time. I want, I want us to just stop and think about um, what we heard in devotions. I want us to get back to that setting. We're going to go to Genesis here in a little bit, but we're going to go to the first uh, chapter. I want us to think about the setting of Adam and Eve in the garden with all the beauty around them, and there's one tree in that garden they've been told not to partake of. Just one. And in the garden, in the midst of all this beauty and blessedness, Satan entered in. Where do you think he went? Do you think he went and ran around in the garden to find Adam and Eve right away so he could just engage them? I don't think so. I think he went straight to that tree that they were forbidden to partake of. And he just hung out there. I think he found a spot under the shade of another tree just close by and waited. Until Adam and Eve approached the very thing God Almighty, God Almighty, Mighty God, said, don't partake of. I want us to get this lesson this morning because there's, there are things in life where God has drawn boundaries and, and we know those boundaries, we've been taught them, and we need to avoid those things, stay away from them. Because here's what happened when Eve came up next to that tree. I want us real quick, I know this is a diversion maybe, but no, it's not a diversion. This is the power of the Word of God this morning. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 3. 2, excuse me, 1 John chapter 2. And these two verses are very familiar to us, but somehow jot this down in your notes because we're going to look at two more passages of Scripture that parallel with this. And it's the very foundation of the work of the deceiver to trip us up. And we're going to, we're going to look at this and then we're going to get on to the power of God. Okay? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, mark this one down in your notes, number one, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. And right there beside the lust of the flesh, I want you to write the word passion. Passion. Number two, the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. And, and right beside that, I want you to write the word possessions. And number three, I want you to write the pride of life. And right beside that, I want you to write positions. Now this is not original with me. Lowell Filburn gave this probably ten years ago more or more at Covington. And, and I wrote that down in my Bible. I don't even carry that Bible anymore. I have a new one. But I carry that thought with me. And here's why. I'd like for you now to turn back to Genesis chapter.
chapter 3 where our devotion at breakfast came from. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, Lord, Almighty God, through Derek. And I'd like for you to look at, I'm going to come back up to verse 1. I want to get the emphasis of this. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, I want you to get the picture again. Remember how, how we painted the picture this morning? I see Satan sitting there by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, just waiting. And I don't know what, I believe Adam and Eve were together, and we, we're not going to go into the depth of this, because this is way off the subject, but, but Adam and Eve, I believe, were together walking through the garden, and they came past the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't even know if they thought about it. I, I don't know if in the purity of their mind and their obedience to God that they were just walking past the tree and it didn't catch their attention as they were carrying on a beautiful conversation as husband and wife, maybe hand in hand, walking through the garden talking about whether they're going to eat uh, grapefruit today or papaya or I don't know what they were talking about, but they came by the tree and Satan addressed them. And Satan said this, Yea, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Did God really tell you that? Guess who answered? Who should have answered? Ben? Say it out loud. Who should have answered? Adam. Who did answer, ladies? I'm blaming Adam here. Adam should have stepped forward, but he didn't. And Eve should have been silent, stepped behind Adam, but she didn't. And she, the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. I want you to listen again. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Is that what God told you? It isn't true. That's not what's going to happen. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God, knowing good and evil. As when the woman saw, and I want you to notice in verse 6, I want you to notice this carefully. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the tree was good for food, you see, Satan appealed to her passions. The passions of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. That's what Satan did. He just appealed immediately to her flesh. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. Possessions, things that she might desire to have. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. Positions. Satan came and with three basic things began to tempt Adam and Eve and here's what they did. She took of the fruit thereof. Now what should she have done? There's a, whole, a lot of things. I'm going to give you the answer for the sake of time. We're, we're using too much time here. She should have immediately turned to God. <coughs> immediately turned to God, her Maker, her Creator, the Intimate One, the One that was the All-Powerful, the Almighty God. Wonderful. Counselor, 
mighty God. I want to ask you this morning if your God is mighty. Oh, come on. Is He or not? Amen. We have a mighty God. In the midst of the temptations of life, we have a mighty God. Satan is already defeated. And he knows it. The question is, do we? We must reckon him to be defeated. He is. It is truth. The Word of God says, says so. It is truth. And we have a mighty God and a defeated devil. Don't forget it. One more passage of Scripture here. Let's turn to... and You could go to Matthew 4 or Luke 4. I'm choosing Luke 4 on purpose this morning. Just because of sequence. Turn to Luke chapter 4. And I want to begin reading in the third verse. Uh, and let's back up to the first one here too. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was, now this is from his baptism, led by the Spirit into the wilderness and being forty days tempted of the devil. Forty days of temptation. You know, what's it like for forty minutes? Forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. He was fasting. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, Hey, Jesus, if you're really the Son of God, you're hungry, aren't you? Forty days, no food. You're hungry, aren't you, Jesus? Feeling kind of weak. If you're really the Son of God, just take these stones and make bread. Now, I've got a question for you. Would there have been anything wrong with Jesus, the Creator God, the Almighty God, Picking up stones and making bread of them, would there have been anything wrong with that? You see head shaking, can you say it? No. no. He is God of the universe, Almighty God. There would have been nothing wrong with it. What was the problem with it? The command was coming from Satan. Amen. It was the voice of a trumpet that was a false trumpet that was saying, appealing to the passions. Jesus Christ Himself in man, in the form of flesh, in the weakness of flesh, 40 days of fasting, and Satan comes and does the very same thing that he did to Eve. It worked there. Why not? Well, what did Jesus do with that? He said, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And so what I want to tell you, I want to go back now to our breakfast time. We heard over and over, thank you, that the Word of God is not bound. But, the Word of God does bind. I never thought about that until this morning. You know, this morning, I always think about the Word of God is, is freedom. The Word of God comes to break bondage. But the Word of God does bind. The Word of God can bind Satan. And that's exactly what happened here. And so, but Satan wasn't ready to give up yet. And the devil taking him up into a high mountain, verse 5, showing, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He took him up on the top of this mountain and just said, Jesus, look. Look at all these kingdoms of the world. All the power that's there. I'm going to give that to you if you want it. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory 
tarry of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. I'm thinking about Troy's uh, message now about the realm of Satan. And, uh, and where we're born. We're born into this, um, into this place Satan has claimed. And he says here, he can give it to whomsoever he will. He'll offer it to you, too. Anyway, he offered it to Jesus. And he said, I can give it to anyone, verse 7, if thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Just worship me. Now we see the real, the real motive of Satan, don't we? What's he appealing to? Possessions. He's just saying, Jesus, just fall down and worship me and I'll give you all this glory. Well, what did Jesus do with that? Verse 8, Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And Satan was bound by the word of God. Verse 9, And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. Once you get this picture again, first of all, uh, Mount Moriah there in Jerusalem, we find the Temple Mount is setting already high. It's on the top of a mountain. And then we have there the walls that are around that temple area, and we have this beautiful temple, and clear up on the pinnacle of the temple is where Satan took Jesus to set there and look down uh, in, the, in the place of all this power of religious, the, the power of religion, I want to say it that way. Here he is, in front of all the power of religion, there on the pinnacle of the temple, and here's what Satan says. If thou be the Son of God, remember now, 40 days of fasting, weak in the flesh, Satan takes him up there and he says, If thou be the Son of God, he's challenging what? Lordship, his position. He's challenging his position. If you are the Son of God, then cast thyself down hence. In the face of all of this religious power, why don't you show them you're the Son of God? That's what Satan was doing. Cast thyself down hence, for it is written, now listen. I want you to catch this, it's especially important. Here is Satan himself quoting the word of God. It is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. Why don't you just show yourself strong here? Prove these religious men you're the son of God. And their hands shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said unto him, It, it is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. I want you to notice that. For a season. So I, I have to ask you this then. Um, Satan used this tactic on Adam and Eve. And it worked. He used it on Jesus Christ and it didn't only because of who he was and, and the fact that he used the word of God. He was the almighty God. Jesus, the almighty God. 
Is there anything different, do you think, about the way Satan tempts men today? I don't think so. I think he's waiting beside that thing in your life. Whatever it is. Whatever you, brother, laid on this floor yesterday and wept tears over and prayed for and convicted against, committed against, Satan is waiting by that thing. Sister, whatever it was, Satan is right there beside that thing waiting for you to get close. I just want to call you to turn and run the other way. Just get out of there. Flee youthful lusts. Flee these things. Passions, possessions, and positions. Turn the other way. Take this Word of God that's not bound and bind Satan. Uh, Isaiah 61, we find that uh, Jesus, in fact, Jesus went there and quoted that. That's how he began his ministry. He stood up in the temple and he pulled up Isaiah 61 and he began to read and he said, This day is this fulfilled in your ears. That he came to bind up the broken hearts. The Word of God will bind up a broken heart. I want you to picture a heart right now. I wish I could draw it. I can't. I'm not a very good artist. But, but picture a heart that is torn open. And Jesus came to tenderly pull that back together and bind that up so that it will be healed. He came to bind up broken hearts. That's what the Word of God does. If you have brokenness in your life this morning, bless you, the mighty God is coming to heal that, to touch that, to heal it, to bind it up. He also came to set the captives free and to unlock the prison to those who are bound. So that's a little springboard this morning into this wonder of the works of God. Wow. Praise God that He was victorious and showed us the way and now lives within us. Did you know, I, I want to just ask you again, do you have a mighty God this morning? Yes. Yes. We do have. Where is He? Here, here, here. Here. Where at? Here. Yeah, some of you are already saying here. In here, pointing to yourself. He is within us. Bless you. Um, I'm trying to think of a verse right now. It's not coming to me. Um, we'll get to it later because I know it will come back. You ever forget your favorite verse? <laughs> It'll come back. Um... I'm just thinking about uh, an illustration I want to use just now. And again, we're thinking about a, a mighty God. Christ in you. The hope of glory came back. Christ in you. This mighty God, Jesus Christ in you. Can you comprehend that? Think about the magnitude of God and how can He be in me? There are scriptures that say, and we won't turn to them right now, that we are in Christ Jesus. We are in Him, and I can get that. Because Jesus is so big, this mighty God is so encompassing that I can be in Him. That's awesome. But guess what? He can be in me too. And I want to use this little illustration. I've used it several times in, in, in a, Diane's heard this before. Hopefully not. Stephen probably has too. But I want to use it again because this is very meaningful to me. I, I had an old sponge that I used to wash my vehicles with. And um, the thing was about shot, and so I went and got a new one. And uh, this, it was a synthetic sponge, so it was kind of like an open-celled foam sponge, if you can get a picture of what that was. 
And I got that thing out of the package, pulled the plastic off, threw it away. I got a bucket of water, put some soap in it, and uh, I had the van setting out there, and, and I threw my new sponge into the bucket. Now, that is a picture of me being in Christ. I want you to get a picture of this water in the bucket is representing the presence of God. This is God. It's Jesus Christ is the water. And so what I did was I threw my sponge into the water. It was in Christ Jesus. You know what that sponge did? It was bottom on top of the water. It refused to drink it in. And I thought, you know what? I didn't think about it right then, because I'll go through that in a little bit, but I began to think about it later. That's just the way it was with me. You know, God invited me in, and I took a hold of that, and I came into Jesus Christ, but I really had a lot of me in me. I still had a lot of air in me. A lot of myself. And I was like that sponge just bobbing there on the water. Well, I took it, and, and you can picture this, I took the sponge and I pushed it down into the water. And I have to say, in my flesh, I said, you're going to take on water. And so I pushed it down into the water. You know what happened when I left off of it? It popped right back on top. Right back up on top. And so then I, I looked at that a little amazed, actually, because, you know, I'm used to this old sponge, and it was an old sponge. It was one that was experienced. It was one that had, had many times been in the water. It had been washing vehicles. It was useful, but it was an old sponge. And when you throw it into the water, it immediately took on water and just sunk down to the, the surface. It just completely took on the water. It was a, an old sponge. Kind of like, I'm getting deep. <laughs> And praise God for that as we have more and more experience with Him that we're taking and drinking Him in. But anyway, I took that sponge and this is kind of the way uh, thankfully God's not like me but I took that sponge and I wrung that thing out underneath the water and I could feel those bubbles in that new sponge cracking and popping and I could see air coming up to the surface and I kept wringing that sponge underneath there and then I held it under and left go of it so that it expanded back out and it took on water because I made it. I think sometimes God's a lot more gentle than I was, but He just kind of pops a couple bubbles in our life here and there, gets a little more of ourself out of ourselves so that He can come in. Because He wants to not only have us in Christ Jesus, but He wants Christ Jesus in us. And, and if you get nothing else out of this week as we go home, that we want to understand, we have a mighty God. He is a compassionate, caring God. He's invited us into Himself, and He's saying, if you'll just, if you'll just take a little, get rid of yourself, just get rid of yourself, I'll come into you and fill you and make you profitable. Profitable in the kingdom. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, um, as we begin to think about this this morning, I want to go through a couple passages of Scripture and, uh, and look again at uh, this mighty God. First of all, in Revelation 1, 8, he says, I am Alpha and Omega. <coughs> Somebody tell me what that means. The beginning and the end. That's what it says right after that. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, 
the Almighty. Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, which was and is and is to come, the Almighty God. You know what Almighty means? I looked that up in the Greek, too. By the way, I, uh, you probably noticed this even in my preaching. I like to go back to the Greek, not because I want to learn Greek. The things I shared last night is not because Greek or Hebrew is so important. Um, if you want to learn that and you're intrigued by it and you can be blessed by that, fine, but I don't even ever intend to learn that. But I want to go back and understand what did the original word mean because so often uh, in the translation we lose things. We lose the majestic uh, message of God sometimes because of the wording and we don't really get it. Okay, he's almighty. What's that mean? Well, I looked that up and, and almighty means absolute, universal, sovereign. Absolute, universal, sovereign. That's who this almighty God is. Sovereign, omnipotent, all-powerful. Well, um, almighty God. Let's, let's look now at John 5. Let's turn there. John, 1 John 5. 1 John 5, 7 and 8. I want to get a picture of this eternal, all-powerful, almighty God. First John 5, verse 7 and 8. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. These three agree in one. I want to talk about this a little bit because as we begin to think about Almighty God, we want to get a picture of, of how do we relate to all of this, especially like with the Trinity. Uh, we're going to look even more at this tomorrow. Everlasting Father. But... I want to get a picture this morning about God and just get a little picture. Maybe you all understand the Trinity and its fullness and completeness and you could explain it tomorrow on campus to whoever asks. Uh, if you're there, I want to listen in. But I'm going to give you just a few little... Uh, remember that analogies are weak and they fall short. Okay, don't, don't take any analogy and try to run it to the nth degree. Try to pull from it the truth that's being explained. I'm going to take a, a carnal analogy to explain the Trinity. I'm going to use two carnal analogies to explain the Trinity. And please don't look too closely at my drawing. I want you to imagine this is a perfect circle and th these are perfect thirds, okay? And, and I'm going to imagine that this is a corporation that has a president a vice president and a secretary treasurer. I want you to imagine for a little bit that this corporation is jointly owned by three individuals. But it is an entity. It is a legal entity. We're going to call this, this corporation the Trinity Corporation. 
And uh, there are equal, three equal owners, 33 and a third percent. Each of them have an equal ownership in this corporation, but they do have different responsibilities. I want you to notice that. Here we have God, who has the responsibility as president of this corporation. We have Jesus, who is his son. We'll put him in as the vice president. And the secretary treasurer is the Spirit of God. I want you to just get this, this uh, try to understand this, and again, please excuse the carnality of a, of a corporation. But, but God has, He is one in purpose. There is an entity called God that we, that we then see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that they're all so joined together that they are one entity. But yet there are three personalities. Does that help make sense at all? If not, I'm going to take you a little farther. And this may get more far than one. Please use again the analogy, but just look at it for the explanation. We live in the United States of America. And in the United States of America, there are three branches of the government. And so, uh, we have, first of all, the legislative branch. What's the legislative branch do? Legislative legislation. <laughs> they try. <laughs> they make laws, right. They make laws. We also have the executive branch. What do they do? Enforce the law. Enforce the law. They enforce the law. Then we have the judicial branch. What does it do? Say it out loud. Judge. 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 Interpret. Interprets or judges, either one. How do you spell that? Interpret. Okay, you got the picture. I'm glad there's no video on this. Um, what we have here is, is what we call government. Okay? We have government. And the government of the United States is made up of three different branches, and here we see, if you can see with me, what I see is the Father had an idea in his mind. If you can say that God has an idea. God had in his mind a, 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 a vision. He saw a world, and he saw animals, and he saw people, and he saw all of this in his mind. God God had a mind, and, and God saw all this, and He made a plan, and God established righteousness for this plan, okay? God, God legislated how things were going to be. But then He, he told His Son, again, you see the Trinity here, that I wanted you to see the, the personality that's in the Trinity. And yet I want you to understand that it is absolutely one in, in purpose. 
And so anyway, we see that the Son then has been, uh, the Father delegated to the Son to carry out His plan. To carry it out. God said that I want, I want this earth. And I want, uh, let me get that a little bit. Let's just go on. And so then we see the Holy Spirit <coughs> is given the responsibility then to come and interpret that plan. And so we have the Father who made the, the law. Uh, we have Jesus come to carry it out. And then we have the Holy Spirit to come within us and judge us and to interpret for us. When uh, That's the thing that comes along. Uh, God said, um, let's go back to passions, possessions, positions. Uh, God said it's wrong to be proud. And um, Jesus said, uh, Jesus came and said, well, yeah, God said it's wrong to be proud. And um, if you're proud, you're going to uh, fall into unrighteousness and you're going to go into condemnation. Jesus spoke that. He carried that out. He brought it to us. And we come along and we say, um, uh, my mother was bone. You know that? Bones are pretty important. You don't believe me, just ask Diane. I'm somebody because my mom was a bone. And pride comes up in my heart, and I begin to act on that, and the Holy Spirit comes and starts to judge that and say, you're thinking too much of yourself. You see how this works now? We want to see how God the Father, when we talk about this almighty God, we're, we're focusing on Jesus in this trinity. We're going to do that today as we focus on uh, Jesus being, the, the names of Jesus are wonderful, counselor, and now it's mighty God. Uh, all of my life, when I was young, whenever I heard the word God, I always pictured God on His throne. I never pictured Jesus as a young child. I never did. And it took me a while to get this, and that's why I wanted to spend a little time on it. You probably already have it. I want to, um, as we think about mighty God, I want to think about power. And I do, a lot of times I get this comparative thing going on. It means a lot to me. I, I relate by comparing. If I can see that something is very little, like this marker, and I compare it to the size of this whiteboard, which is very large, it's easy for me to make those comparisons. And so we want to do that a little bit this morning. I want to talk about a time, and real briefly, about the power of man. What do you think, and just pop off some of the main things that you think about man has accomplished, God has allowed man to accomplish, that's really something? Tell me some things. What? Invent things. Invent things. Yes. No end of it. The Hoover Dam. Atomic bombs. Atomic bombs. Airplanes. Airplanes. Space travel. What? Space travel. Space travel. These are pretty pretty fascinating, aren't they? And we stand and we say, wow, when we should be saying, uh, we should be recognizing that this was God. We're saying, wow to man. Atomic bomb. Probably the most powerful thing that man's ever accomplished. I want you to think about what happened um, at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I want you to think about that for a little bit. When man flew over 
When the Americans threw, uh, flew the Enola Gay over Hiroshima and dropped the first ever atomic bomb. It was a 9,000 pound bomb. I think it was called the Little, little Man or Little Man. And this 9,000 pound bomb dropped out of this airplane and immediately the pilot was told you need to bank as hard as you can and get away from that as fast as you can because we don't know what's really going to happen. And that bomb began to drop and I believe it was one mile above the surface is where it detonated and it blew a huge massive hole in the ground. It completely devastated five square miles, completely leveled it flat and immediately 60,000 people died instantly. In the process of the next couple of days, because of radiation and all the, the, the fallout from that, I think it was like 166,000 people died from one bomb. And, and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of possessions. Well, a couple of days later, I think it was two days later, um, they flew over Nagasaki and dropped the second one. It was a 10,000 pound bomb. It was a different kind. The United States was actually taking advantage to, to try out some things they didn't want to play with. It, it's just the, the mind of man is sick. And they flew over with this 10,000 pound bomb called the Fat Man. It was built different and, and it was a fat boy, something like that. It was a big 10,000 pound bomb. It dropped down over uh, here, or Nagasaki and it detonated like the other but because of the, uh, the ground wasn't as flat it kind of affected the blast and it was actually less of a blast but 40,000 people died. Uh, nearly a quarter of a million people died there in, in four or five days. The devastation and death when man shows power. Well, I want to compare that to the power of God. You know, really what man did there was pretty insignificant. Pretty insignificant. And so I want to take you to one natural thing that's, that's really kind of current. Well, just some of us anyway. I feel like it's still current. You weren't born yet, but... Um, in 1980, Mount St. Helens here in Washington... Uh, began to have a little activity, and we started reading about it in the newspaper. I was a um, junior in high school. And Mount St. Helens was having some seismic activity, and people were kind of concerned about it, and scientists flocked in from all over the place and set up all kinds of equipment, and they were really worried about what might happen here, all except for one man, Harry Truman was his name, and he sat in his lodge down at the bottom of that mountain there by the Spirit Lake. He had a lodge there that he had worked there for all of his life. And he just kind of laughed at everybody getting excited about this little rumbling going on over here in the mountain. He said, this has happened for all my life. This mountain's always rumble. People always, you're afraid of nothing. And, and he kind of sloughed it off. And they did actually video interviews. You can actually still see that of his skepticism of the, all the whole thing. But I want to tell you something. God was sick of his people turning their back on him and thumbing their nose at him, and he wanted to show them something. And, and he heard about their bomb over in Nagasaki and Hiroshima. He knew all about that, but God just... Here's how I picture it. And of course, this is not... Uh, I'm going to give you a little word picture here. Here's how I picture what happened there at... Mount St. Helens. 
that thing was boiling up with pressure underneath and they were afraid and there was already craters developing in the top and the craters were getting bigger and they thought this thing's going to blow out the top just like a volcano does but God did something powerful that day I picture him just saying I want to show me in my power and I think he just reached down and touched the bottom of that mountain just touched it lightly and what happened was the side of that mountain fell out it just slid down to Spirit Lake. And all the pressure that was building up inside that mountain blasted out the side of the mountain to the opposing mountain with a 300 mile an hour wind, they say. And it flattened all the trees on the opposing mountains, just laid them flat. All the heat and all the pressure and all the wind coming out of that. And what had happened was there was a little earthquake that happened there when God touched the mountain. And it slid down and it left all that pressure come out. What happened was then the, the mountain slid down to Spirit Lake and covered Harry Truman and pushed all that lake like a little little mud puddle. This was a pretty good sized lake down there and it just pushed it like a mud puddle right up those opposing mountain slopes. And it washed all those down trees up and then the water came back down on top of the mudslide 600 feet above where it was before. I mean, this is a lot of dirt to come down there. This is a big deal. 600 feet above that, it washed all these trees down the mountain and log jammed that lake. Go there and see it. If you don't believe me, it's still there. We were there uh, probably 10 years ago. We came out here and went down to Oregon and we stopped there to see it. Um, and it was amazing. Uh, by then, it was 20 years later, and so the trees were coming up through the ash and stuff, and there were pine trees this tall everywhere because the earth is reclaiming. But the devastation was still obvious. What happened was, when that thing blew, a mountain of smoke and ash went up into the sky, I forget now, uh, 14 miles, I think is what I read. 14 miles high. A big old plume of smoke and, and ash. And how many of you have been to Yakima, Washington? Most of you have been to Yakima, Washington. Have you ever been there at noon? Yeah? Sunshine and bright and all that. Yakima, Washington turned pitch black at like night. And I believe it said there were six inches of ash fell like snow over the whole thing. The only difference is snow melts and ash doesn't. And they had a problem. And people were breathing that stuff and it was a problem. They had to clean all that up. Um, a couple days later I went out to go to school and on the, on the uh, hoods of our cars, there was ash in Ohio. Fifteen days later, that cloud had circled and come clear back to Washington again. Because God decided, and I don't think he even touched it, he just said, let it be, and it happened. I think he whispered it at you. Show him. Show him. Almighty God, showing his power. Well, you know, really, that's peanuts. <coughs> that's just a little tiny thing that God did but I want us to just kind of feel the, uh, the reality of that I, we're going to run out of time here but I want to look at creation and thank you Troy for already covering some of this so I won't have to cover it all again I want you to jot these down I'm not even going to turn to all of them um Troy already covered some of these. Just jot these down. 1 John 1, 3, and 10. I'm going to turn to that one. You write it down for now. 1 John 1, 3, and 10. 
1 Corinthians 8, 6, Ephesians 3, 9. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Ephesians 3, 9. Hebrews 1, 2. The hallmark of them. Put a star beside this one. Colossians 1, 16. Troy already got that one. And then we're going to turn to Genesis 1. Let's go back now together to 1 John chapter... I don't think I want 1 John. I think I want John. Let's turn to St. John. Correct that in your notes. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word? What's that representing? Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. That's why we covered the Trinity. Because we wanted to get to this point, and we wanted you to have this concept in your mind clearly. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Almighty God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him. I want us to get this picture. Again, when I was younger, I never, when I thought about the creation, because of the wording there, it just says God, and I always pictured the Father. But remember, the Father had the plan, and the Son's going to carry it out. He's going to carry it out. In the beginning was the Word, and again, I don't want to hang up in Greek and Hebrew and that kind of thing, but the Greek word there is logos, and what does logos mean? Spoken Word. Jesus was the spoken Word. He's the verbalization of God. He's the verbalization. He's the executive branch. He's going to carry out, he's going to speak the mind of God. And, and when he speaks, things happen. We're going to see that too. Jesus was the verbalization of God, the, the Word of God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, by Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. He was not... Uh, excuse me, I'm turning too far. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. Men and dark and the darkness or the light shineth in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not and and it goes on and talks about John but I want to drop down now to verse ten uh, verse nine that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not I want to just establish here that Jesus was the Creator God. Almighty God, the, the name of Jesus, wonderful, counselor, mighty God. Jesus, I want us to get that picture. Jesus is the mighty God, the verbalization of the mighty God. Colossians 1, I said it was a hallmark scripture. Let's look at that one quick. Um, and again, thank you, Troy, for covering that. I think it's good that we come across the same thing by two trumpets. Verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1 says, Who is the image... And I'm going to back up because I'm losing too much. 
Verse 12, Give thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom, in this Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood. We know that it's the blood of Jesus that redeems us. Even the forgiveness of sins is through Jesus and through His blood, who is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. He is the image now. He's the verbalization and the image of God. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth. I want us to get this, the power of this. Jesus spoke in all things that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. I don't see how you can get it a bit clearer. This is Jesus, mighty God. Verbalization, speaking into existence. Let's look at that record in Genesis chapter 1. Now I have a tendency when I read this, I have a tendency when I read this to... Um, Overstated, I believe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We know this is Jesus speaking. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. You know, I, I have a tendency to try to emphasize this as a minister and say, And God said, Let there be light. I don't think he did. I think he just whispered and said, Let there be light. And there was light. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And it goes on there. Verse 9, And God said, This is Jesus Christ, the mighty God. Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place. And it was so... Verse 11, and God said, we just keep coming down there, verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament. And there was. It's kind of like I said Sunday. I would really like for um, old Bill Nye to really tell us, do your math, Bill. Go ahead, do your math. You know how far these stars are moving apart. Do your math and come back to where that all happened. Because I'd like to know where God, where Jesus was standing when he said, let there be light. The power of Almighty God creating. And um, Bill says, uh, no, the, the stars are moving apart. They get farther apart. And I like the answer. Well, that's no surprise. Because the Bible says He spreads out the heavens. No surprise to us, is it? Almighty God said, and it was done. We could go to the flood. We could go to the Red Sea. We could see God in a mighty way. I want to go to the cross. Mighty God. Mighty God. Hanging on a cross for you and for me. The work of God. The wonder of the work of God. Can you imagine uh, before Pilate being speechless when you're being falsely accused. I want to tell you just a bit of wisdom that an older brother shared with me several years ago, and I have put it to practice 
and He has blessed me in many ways. If you ever, this brother said, if you're ever falsely accused, don't try to defend yourself. This is actually the example of Jesus. And I want you to see the mighty God, the Creator, the King of heaven and earth, stood silent when He was falsely accused. I'd like you to do the same thing. Ask Him for power. He did it, and He can do it for you. Because this brother said, if you're falsely accused, don't try to defend yourself. It'll just look defensive. You'll just get it in. You'll get. It'll get muddier. He said, just live your life to prove it wrong. And I'd like to pass that on to you. That's what Jesus did, and He went to the cross. And you may have to die. No, you're going to have to die if you want God in you to live in you. You are going to have to die. Well, I want to also go to the empty tomb. I want you to see the resurrected Jesus, the power of God over life, over death, life over death. And I want you to also see uh, that He is coming again. Jesus, this mighty God, is not done with this people or this earth. At this point, He is coming again to make all things new. Did you know that when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a temple there? That amazes me. You stop and think about the magnificence of a temple and the gold. And you read how it was all built and, and the beauty of it and the glory of it. In fact, the apostles, on, uh, right before Jesus was crucified, they were walking past the temple and they said, Look at the stones! Look at the stones! What a, what a beautiful building! Right beside them, look at the stones! Is the Creator God? Who cares about the stones? Who cares? There won't even be a temple in heaven because God Himself will be the temple of it. There's not going to be a sun and moon. Did you know that the sun and the moon were created on the fourth day? Light was on the first day. The sun and moon on the fourth day. Who cares about the sun and the moon? God is light. Almighty God. Almighty God. In the presence of Him forevermore in the presence of eternal life. We have two minutes for comments. I'd just like to hear from your heart. You know, as I think about mighty God and the wonder of His works, could we just say wow once? Wow! Say it. Uh, what's on your mind? What's on your mind? Yeah. Well, I almost feel bad for speaking too much this week already, but I just have to say that um, I would encourage any of you to to get a chance to go to the Creation Museum and watch the Creative Cosmos. Mm -hmm. We were there two weeks ago, and again, I just you, you go in, you know, and you're kind of laughing and talking, and you're, you kind of you're, but you come out of there speechless. And I had to think of this when he was talking. I stand in awe of a God who can make heaven so big nobody even knows how big it is yet. And we've been around for a couple thousand years. And we have all this technology, amazing, astounding technology that we can send a satellite out there, but still don't even know how big it is. Benjamin, you're just like every preacher in Ohio. Every preacher in Ohio went to the Creation Museum and within two weeks he was preaching that. <laughs> it is good. I invite you to go. It's, it's a good thing to do. I want to tell you what I saw there. Remember how it was, Benjamin? They stood on the earth and they just kept coming out farther and farther. What amazes me is Bill Nye stands on the earth, very foundation that God spoke. What, what's the first thing Jesus spoke into existence? The earth. 
And Bill Nye stands on the earth and looks through his binoculars to find out where it all started. He's standing on it. He's using the wrong set of lenses. And, and I'm not trying to belittle him or make fun of him. The reality is, the Bible says he's standing on it, and they back out there in that planetarium from the earth to the solar system. And that's pretty magnificent. Then they back out to the Milky Way, so you can see the whole Milky Way. But guess what? There's a thousand more galaxies, and so they just keep backing out, and every, the solar system's gone. The Milky Way, you can't even see it. It's too far back there. It's a little speck. And then they put a, a map of, they have mapped over 13 million light years of space. That's amazing. I can't comprehend it. But they put that map up there to show all these stars and, and huge, Betelgeuse and all those huge stars. And then out around the fringe of that, did you notice this? It was all black. And, and, and just focusing on that, I leaned over to my wife and I said, you know what's out in that black space? More of the same. Just more of the same. It's endless. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Anyone else have a thought uh, to share? Yeah. <clears throat> Talking about the mindness of God, if you go to uh, Job and read chapter 38 and 39, I'm not sure where it stops, but I was reading that this morning and it just blows my mind away. You know, God comes after all Job's uh, three invisible friends had come and we're trying to help him. You know, God comes, you know, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And they just start to ask a bunch of questions. I can't even begin to comprehend how mighty God is, how good He is, how great He is. We just scratched the surface, didn't we? Yeah. Awesome. Wow. Anything else? We got. We're past a minute or two. Anything pressing? Yes. I'd just like to point out that in Genesis, considering the heavens, it was one short phrase where it says He made the stars also. Yeah. <laughs> considering the might of God, it also says in the Word that. I'm sorry I spent so much time on carnal images when we should have been on the cross. You know, we got to the end too quick. We are at the end, but one more thing. Have any of you seen The Star of Bethlehem? There's a video called The Star of Bethlehem. And it's, a, it's an amazing thing that a man has studied out. And one of the things that impressed me the most is when he was talking about God and how big and great God is, he was talking about the greatness of the skies and the creation and the universe, but he said, here's how big God is. One day God said, universe, universe, what happens to the universe? <laughs> <laughs> that put perspective on it for me. <laughs> okay, let's end with prayer. Father, we come before you again this morning in the name of Jesus. In all of your greatness and your power, sitting there a little bit in amazement Rob is talking about the atomic bombs and, and how powerful man can be and put our intellect to use and, and cause huge destruction and that seems small compared to the destruction that you can cause with Mount St. Helens and then we go further and, and look at your creation and how it's just a whisper couple words, you create the universe and, and all that's in it. You create the immense stars and the, the 
tiny cells and bacteria. And then we look at the cross, and we look at Christ, and, and how in Ephesians you say that, as Paul was praying, that we could understand your power, which was first wrought when you raised Christ from the dead. And then beyond that, your power was shown when we who were dead in our trespasses and sins were quickened together, were given life together with Jesus. tremble in awe at your power and in your ability and in your willingness and your eagerness to look into our desperate, broken, sin-sick lives and create in us new life. Give us real life, true life. I thank you for that and I praise you. I ask you to continue to open our eyes and let us see more of you Think of in Revelations when the elders bow down before you and eventually they stand back up and look at you again and bow down again and just fall at your feet again and again. Father, I pray that as this week continues, you would continue to bring us on our faces before you. And just when we're standing back up and beginning to talk with each other about you, let us see you again and bring us to our knees again. Father, I thank you for this message this morning and ask you to continue your work for your glory. Pray this in